Cody. Uh, in the film, uh, The Right Stuff, uh, Chuck Yeager rides his horse full pelt into a low-hanging tree branch and is thrown from his horse, breaking his rib. Chuck Yeager bravely soldiers on, being the first man to break the sound barrier to fly faster than the speed of sound the very next morning. In the film... Dr. Thorne, Sir Louis Scatchett does the same thing, riding his horse, hitting a low-hanging tree branch, breaking his rib, puncturing his lung, and dying from his injuries. He is the villain in the story. His death gets him out of the way. Now the young couple who are in love can marry. In the film The Abduction Club... Miss Anne Kennedy does the same thing, riding uh, into a low-hanging tree branch, winding herself, coming off the horse and giving Jane Strang, who is in love with her, the fright of his life because he thinks she's dead. But she's not. She's just winded. But the accident gives James the first opportunity to be tender towards her and to show her that he cares. And in the film, you know where I'm going with this, in the film Star Wars Episode VI, The Return of the Jedi, numerous Imperial stormtroopers traveling too fast through the woodlands of the forest moon of Endor on their Z-47 speeder bikes collide with trees and branches and burst into flames. This allows the goodies to escape. Well, the conclusion is inescapable. Trees are very dangerous. <laughs> and the story can twist around them. So found Absalom riding his mule, stuck in a tree, twisting in the wind. We are continuing a series of sermons this morning on the latter part of King David's life from the second book of Samuel. The story so far summarized is that King David has fled the city of Jerusalem in the face of a coup attempt led by his son, Absalom. So to our reading today, wherein Absalom dies, bringing his coup attempt to an end. Three details of the account are worth pondering. Firstly, Let's think about King David's direction to his troops not to harm Absalom, his son. Secondly, let's think about Joab's decision to kill Absalom anyway, even after he'd heard David's request, David's order for clemency. And thirdly, let's consider the nature of Absalom's death as a mixture of bizarre accident combined with gruesome execution. So let's look first at King David's direction to his troops not to harm Absalom, his son. Well, David is removed from the battlefield. Even though he's king and commander-in-chief of all the armed forces, um, it is his job to lead his troops into battle. Yet, and nevertheless, his own men correctly see that this entire conflict is really all about David. The point of the battle will be to kill David. 
so he must not go with them. That's their point, and they are right. David, recognizing that they are right, resigns himself to having to to wait more or less helplessly from behind the defensive walls of the city of Mahanaim. But as the troops go out, the king commanded his three generals. Verse 5, chapter 18, be gentle with the young man Absalom for my sake. Literally, go gently with him, with the young lad, with Absalom. In other words, please take Absalom alive without injuring him. And all the troops overheard him saying this. David, we remember, is David is being disciplined by God for a time in his own life when he sinned greatly against the Lord in committing adultery with Bathsheba and arranging for the murder of her husband on the battlefield, David acted cruelly and selfishly, taking what he wanted without reference to God or neighbor. All that he is currently suffering is a direct result of that stupid sin. And David knows it. He knows that God is disciplining him. However, in these things, we see that God's plan of rehabilitation is working. Suffering has softened David's heart. He passively acquiesces to the advice of his soldiers, relinquishing field commands to his generals, sharing authority, letting go of power, staying behind. And even even more tellingly, he, he, we now see, he plans to forgive Absalom. Even though his son has cursed him, attacked him, forced him into exile, and slept publicly with his concubines, David plans forgiveness and reconciliation. Uh, he has become a compassionate and merciful man once again. David, who was forgiven by God for adultery and murder, two things which require the death penalty according to the law of Moses, David has become a forgiving man. I I reckon that's the first thing to see, David's rehabilitation. The experience of grace and of suffering has resuscitated the old David, the one we knew before, the, the man of prayer, the man of peace, the man of God. That's the first thing to see. Let's look now at Joab's decision to kill Absalom even after he'd heard King David's command for clemency. Well, it's clear that Joab, who'd been personally commanded, ordered by the king not to harm Absalom, it is really clear, abundantly clear, that he had absolutely no intention of carrying out or being obedient to that command, no intention at all. Even before his soldiers entered into the fray, he had announced to everyone under him that he personally was posting a reward for Absalom's death, ten shekels of silver and a warrior's belt. But his subordinates knew that this was disobedience, that this was treachery to the king. They'd heard the king themselves. Indeed, as the young soldier who discovered Absalom himself said, even if a thousand shekels were weighed out into my hands, I would not lay a hand on the king's son. 
In our hearing, the king commanded you and Abishai and Ittai, protect the young man Absalom for my sake. And if I had put my life in jeopardy, uh, literally, if I had set my soul to treachery, if I had set my soul to treachery, if I had put my life in jeopardy and nothing is hidden from the king, you would have distanced yourself from me. But as we saw, when Absalom gets stuck, Joab doesn't hesitate. Verse 14, And Joab said, I'm not going to waste time like this in your presence. And he took three javelins in his hand and thrust them into the heart of Absalom, who was still alive in the heart of the oak tree. And ten young men, armor-bearers of Joab, they struck Absalom and killed him. And Joab blew the trumpet, and the people returned back from pursuing after Israel because Joab had spared them. Um, That last phrase, uh, which in our NIV Pew Bibles is translated, for Joab halted them, uh, that last phrase, uh, um, however you translate it, it makes the point. Um, Joab spared everyone any further action because the war was over the instant that Absalom died. The coup attempt was over. It was dead. Just as, likewise, and David acknowledged this for himself, the battle also would have ended instantly if David himself had been killed. Um, This helps us to understand Joab. Politically, Politically, King David's request that Absalom be captured and held unharmed, politically, that was an absolute impossibility. David was in cloud cuckoo land if he thought that was ever going to happen. His request, go gently with him, with the young lad, with Absalom, it was bizarre. Not something that Joab considered with any seriousness even for a moment. He knew that could never happen. Politically, this thing, this war, it would have continued in one way or another until either David or Absalom had been killed. Political impossibility. I'm just ignoring that command. So then now, uh, thirdly, let's consider um, the third thing about this text. The nature of Absalom's death as a mixture of somewhat bizarre accident combined with gruesome execution. Um, Let's look at verse 9, and if you'll pardon me, it's worth considering the literal Hebrew again, which is something a little bit like this. Verse 9, And Absalom cried out in the presence of the servants of David. Now Absalom was riding upon a mule, and the mule went under the branches of a great oak tree, and his head was caught in the oak tree, And he was suspended between the heavens and the earth. And the mule that was under him passed on. Well, um, Absalom's men are all on foot. They are scattered right across the countryside, trying to engage with three separate armies. David has split his one army into three and moved into three different areas. And that's caused the opposition to split. And the fighting moves into dense woodlands, the the forests of Ephraim, uh, where the skill of David's soldiers in hand-to-hand combat is superior and makes all the difference. 
Absalom's men now have to retreat backwards through woodlands, and the dense un- undergrowth is is working against them, and is like and it's it's like fight. It's like they're like soldiers fighting on David's side, the densely packed trees. But Absalom has an advantage. He has a mule, which allows him to move faster than a man running in armor. But it's not enough. There's an accident. His head gets caught in some branches. Presumably, he, he, presumably he, he now holds the weight of his body by his arms so that he doesn't die of asphyxiation. But he's able to cry out for help, and it's David's soldiers who hear the cries and discover him. Well, that's a curious thing for God to do, really, isn't it? I mean, God could have arranged for the taking of Absalom's life in so many different ways, so easily. Um, An an arrow shot at random. Or falling headlong into a pit and breaking his neck. Or his mule hitting a tree and bursting into flames. (laughs) Easy. But instead, God leaves Absalom suspended. Literally. A suspended sentence. Suspended between the heavens and the earth. In other words, between the sky and the land. This leaves the story, uh, it leaves the conclusion of the story suspended. Anything could happen now. David's men could rescue him and bring him to David unharmed. Then there'd be forgiveness and reconciliation and grace and a happy ending and roll the credits. Alternatively, Joab could happen. The suspended sentence would be transformed into actual judgment. The death of Absalom. A different kind of happy ending, but not so happy for Absalom. Why does it turn out the way that it does? Why does it turn out the way that it does? Well, I think there's a clue in verse 10. The the words used by the young soldier to Joab, he said, I just saw Absalom hanging in an oak tree. And actually, that's one of only two occurrences of that verb, here translated as hanging. That verb only appears twice in the Old Testament. And the other occurrence is Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23. Cursed is anyone hung on a tree. Absalom had every advantage, but he could not outrun God's curse. Absalom had cursed his father and slept with his father's wives and cursed is everyone who does these things according to the law of Moses, Deuteronomy 27, verses 16 and 20. Cursed is everyone who does these things. Furthermore, Absalom's coup attempt was a direct attack against God. And that's because... Absalom's dad, King David, just so happens to be the anointed king of Israel, the Messiah, the Christ. As such, as as the anointed king of Israel, he is God's son. Psalm 69, he will call out to me, you are my father, my God, the rock, my savior, and I will appoint him to be my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. To, to, to raise your hand 
To raise your hand against the Son is to raise your hand against the Father. To raise your hand against the Messiah is to raise your hand against God. Absalom's sin is that it is willful, high-handed rejection of God's rule over his own life. And he cannot claim to not know what he is doing. And that's another reason why the young soldier was unwilling to touch Absalom. To raise your hand against the son is to raise your hand against the father. Irrespective of circumstances, the son represents the father. This is deeply confusing for that young man. He's not going to raise his hand. He's not going to raise his hand against the son of his king. So then, Absalom's sin is willful, high-handed rejection of God's rule over his own life. And that this is the spiritual direction of his entire life. It's attested to by the monument he set up for himself, a, a, a stone pillar in his own honor, something absolutely abhorrent to everyone who lives for the honor and glory of their Lord. To try to glorify yourself is just totally the other direction. Well, these are terrible sins, but can Absalom be forgiven? After all, David was forgiven, and he sinned in much the same ways. Murder, sexual sin, high-handed rejection of God's rule, treating God with contempt. If David could be forgiven, why is Absalom's forgiveness an impossibility? Why can't Absalom be forgiven? Because he didn't ask for it. Whereas David did. Even in the tree, Absalom could have pleaded for grace, but he didn't. David was repentant. He was sorry. He asked to be forgiven, and he was forgiven. But Absalom was unrepentant. So then, both politically and theologically, Absalom had to die. And he was buried in a contemptuous manner, thrown into a deep pit, covered with a very great heap of stones. The act was heavy with symbolism. Absalom was denied the honor of being laid to rest in the tomb of his ancestors, alongside his fathers. Absalom was denied burial in the Promised Land. He's he was buried east of the Jordan, causing him symbolically to remain outside of God's kingdom and presence forever. The throwing on of stones symbolized the death by stoning that his crimes demanded according to the law of Moses. And the heap of stones brought to mind memorable evildoers from Israel's past, like Aitken uh, of Joshua chapter 7. And it also brought to mind arch enemies of Israel, like that Canaanite king of Ai, Joshua chapter 8. An infamous burial. So then, that's the point. David was forgiven, but Absalom wasn't. Perhaps the story begs a certain conclusion wherein we consider some other men who got stuck in trees, other men uh, who had to die. Uh, Luke chapter 23, beginning at the 38th verse. There was a written notice above Jesus which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? 
Save yourself and us. Well, uh, here we have three men stuck in trees. I, I have the liberty to refer to the wooden crosses used by Romans for cruci crucifixion as trees because both the Hebrew and Greek words used for tree also means wood or pole. So then, not infrequently, the authors of the New Testament refer to Jesus as one who was hung on a tree. Three men stuck hanging in trees, hanging by their arms so as to avoid asphyxiation. But all of them have to die. Verse 40, the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Uh, under Roman law, common criminals uh, were never crucified. No, crucifixion was for treason, for treachery against Caesar and Roman rule. These uh, two men hanging alongside Jesus are what we would call today terrorists or insurrectionists. They have murdered people. These men must die for their sins. But one of them asks for grace. Verse 42. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus was also uh, stuck in a tree, charged with treason. He also had to die. But it was his own choice to die, his own decision in obedience to his king and father. He, he himself was without sin, without guilt or any wrongdoing. He truly was king of the Jews, king of the world. That's who he is, truly. But actually, he chose to die an unjust death because there he chose to die for David so that David might be forgiven his sins and not have to die. And Jesus died there also for me and for all and for everyone. And to receive that forgiveness, all you need to do is repent and trust Jesus. You, you see, the shock of today's text is not that Absalom had to die. That's not shocking. The shock of today's text is that David could be forgiven. Absalom got what he deserved. He got what was coming to him. But David didn't. That's the true scandal. And that man on the cross next to Jesus, the man who acknowledged and confessed that Jesus was innocent and, and confessed his belief that Jesus really was God's anointed Messiah, this man hanging there, he's got no chance or opportunity to do any good works that might atone for what he's done. He simply has to hang there and to trust that Jesus is doing it for him and that Jesus could be trusted, and that you can take Jesus at his word. He simply had to trust that Jesus would save him. And in that, he was saved. The conclusion is inescapable. Trees are very dangerous. But the story can twist around them. 
May the cross of Christ, his tree, may it be the turning point of our lives, both now and forever. Amen.